I feel like anybody should be able to look at my work and take something away from it, even though it's I'm kind of channeling it through my experience as a Black woman. Black creativity is unstoppable. The Studio Noise podcast takes you into the studio with Black artists and creatives making the art that moves the culture. You get to feel all the inspiration, technique, and passion behind the people making paintings, making sculptures, making prints, making noise. It's the Studio Noise Podcast with your host, Jamal Barber. It's the noise. Yes, it's your boy, Jay Barber. It's so exciting to see an artist do the work, make that steady climb in their career, and then they do that thing. That one thing, not a Marie style, but it's that, it's that one thing that brings it all together. And then boom, it takes off. <laughs> it's amazing to see it's breathtaking. I love it. And that's exactly what's happening right now to today's guest, Latoya Hobbs. She's returning to the podcast after a busy couple of years. Her episode, episode 14, you got to go way back in the way back machine <laughs> to see this one was called Next Level Thinking. And after that episode, she went and she did all of the work. And now she's hitting new highs, winning awards, turning heads with this extremely impressive, like amazing, mind blowing, jaw dropping. I can't, I don't have a, I don't have enough adjective to describe it, but this amazing, absolutely amazing installation called Carving Out Time, which is on view right now through April 3rd at the Baltimore Museum of Art. Latoya talks about her influences, how she centers her experiences as a black woman, a mother, an artist, all in her work. We deep dive into carving out time because I'm, I'm just fascinated by it personally. <laughs> so I had to get all into it. And we go from talking about the planning of it to the carving of it to everything that it means. And we give special shout outs to her husband, Ariston, for all the work that he did to help make it happen. Yo, that's, my, that's the man right there. Uh, make sure we got to get him on a podcast one day, too, yo. So we got to make sure we do that. It's a great episode for you today. So, so much more to talk about. Uh, I think you're really going to enjoy it. You know, it's Studio Noise. It's the voice of black art giving you the very best in contemporary black art. Support the show by following, rating, subscribing, write a review, wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you listen, yo. Make sure you do that little bit for your boys, share it in your stories, let everybody know about the noise. You can follow us on the socials. Studio Noise Podcast on IG. That's noise with a Z. Join our Patreon. All your donations go to help us continue to build an archive of the best black artists talking about their work in their own voices, telling their own stories, putting it on record. It's made for you. So when you go to your studio, you pick it up, you get mad inspired, you keep making that noise, baby. That's exactly what we want to do. So right now, why don't you go ahead, get two art friends. Just tell your two art friends, whoever it was that you was just now talking to them, tell them, send them this episode. Let them know. After the break, we got Latoya Hobbs right here on The Noise, baby. Yes. This is TK Smith. I'm a writer, a curator, and a cultural historian, and you are listening to Studio Noise. Yes, it's your boy Jay Barber back. Studio Noise, the voice of black art. I got one of my all-time favorite artists on the show. Matter of fact, I ain't even gonna try and be professional right now. I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you this story right about our guest, Latoya Hobbs, <laughs> on the podcast. She put up a video of her new project, Carbon Time, that she had. Uh, I looked at the video, I was like, yeah, mm, that's interesting. I put my phone down, I reached right into my little drawer where I keep my carbon tools, took all my carbon tools out, and threw them shits in the trash i was like yo this joint is done yo she is killing it right now i can't stand it it's <laughs> absolutely amazing work blew my mind i was like yeah i'm, I'm gonna head and quit and go be a teacher somewhere <laughs> so we got latoya Hobbs on the show how you doing girl i'm doing good how are you i'm chilling i'm chilling yo fantastic ever since you've been on the show you was on one of the early early shows too in person all the way down here yeah. in atlanta yo 
And so, yeah, just, didn't what you, was that, like 20, 2018, 2019? Yeah, way back, yo, way back. Yeah. And so since then, like, you've been on kind of a, a big, big time run, like a whirlwind. I'm not saying that you coming on the show caused your success. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that <laughs> after you was on the show, you went on, <laughs> you went on to have great success. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it was, it's definitely been um, a lot of growth. A lot of things have happened since then. And I think um, the kind of my focus for that talk or kind of what, what the conversation was about was like, I think the title of it was next level thinking. Yep. So I was really trying to be strategic about um, where I was currently in my career and also thinking about like how I can, yeah, level up, kind of move up to the next level and get more visibility uh, for my work and kind of plant the seeds that would usher me um, into being like mid-career status as opposed to like um, emerging artist status. And I, sometimes it's kind of hard to define like what those things are specifically, but just kind of deciding what that looks like for me and yeah, how to get there. Yeah. And, and it definitely worked out for you. You, you, you uh, put it together. Like, you know, it's, it's nice to see like artists that are kind of going along and then suddenly it's like I don't know what it is you just get that thing you know what I'm saying like you figure out like what your thing is and you just you know hustle it up you know what I mean like it's all all work and effort and, and you know and production and you know that's what <laughs> that's what you did Joe it's absolutely amazing yeah. to see honestly I can so I've been kind of thinking about that timeline and some specific things that uh kind of took place I, I would say one is like me really honing in on the things that I am good at as an artist. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that was, you know, and for people who may not know me, my background is as a painter and printmaker. Uh, with my printmaking practice, I specialize in woodcut. Generally, um, large-scale woodcut is kind of my thing. Um, but I was really thinking about, okay, what what is special about me as an artist that you wouldn't necessarily get from other people? And I think for me... And, also what's special about me, but what do I enjoy doing that I can really talk about and really stand behind? And that was kind of my carving practice. Um, and so, I, you know, I think about myself as a painter and I'm like, there's a lot of really great painters out there. Um, and so that's kind of the, that market is already kind of sewed up in terms of like the type of images that people are produ producing, particularly when you think about um, black portraiture. There's a lot of really great yeah. black artists doing really phenomenal paintings yeah. and really phenomenal portraits. And I didn't want to sacrifice doing portraiture because that's my thing also. And I was like, well, what can I do? Not necessarily as like a gimmicky type of thing, but what can I do that when people see this, they will know that that is a Latoya Hobbs painting. And so I, I guess like the kind of niche that I had was thinking about myself as a printmaker. And I had really been on this sort of journey of thinking about how I can combine both of those things together, like my painting and my printmaking practice. So the first iteration of that started like in 2012, I did these mixed media um, works that were on wood panels. And so I kind of carved and painted and collaged all on the same surface. And that was kind of like the early turning point mm -hmm. for me. And I really started to bring that back, I would say maybe around 2018, 2018, 2019, I really like started to bring that back into my practice. So yeah. I think that's one particular thing. And I think also there was just some really specific exhibitions that happened. Um, Cause one of my goals was to be more visible specifically in Baltimore. Um, Cause I think at the time, not a lot of people, I just think a lot of people didn't know about my work. There were a few people here and there. Um, a lot of people kind of knew me as like a professor at MICA. Mm hmm but I really, I wasn't really exhibiting that much in the area. Most of the things I kind of got rejected from <laughs> that I would apply to be in. Yeah. Or, you know, I was just showing other places. So I did, you know, shows that were specifically here. And then I would also say it's just, you know, a result of people taking a chance on my work. So there were two particular shows. Um, I did a solo show at Goucher College. It's uh, in, in Towson, which maybe is about 20 minutes outside of Baltimore. And then uh, that was curated uh, by Sheena Morrison. And then another curator, Kirk Shannon Butts, came to that show and then offered me a solo show at uh, the Baltimore City Hall Galleries, which he was over. And so that show was a really great show for me. Um, I introduced some really, you know, some nice, significant works uh, that I was really proud of at that time. And that, that just kind of like, I don't know, created this snowball effect. And then after that, 
I won the Sondheim Prize, which is a really significant regional um, arts award that grants an artist $25,000 to enhance their practice. And yeah. then kind of things just started rolling yeah. after that, bringing us to where we are now. Nah, that's big time, yo. That's big time. And people need to hear that story, right? Because they know that it's a progression. Like a lot of, you know, I teach now at Georgia State. So I'm sure you get the same thing at Micah. It's like, yo, how do I get a show? How do I, you know what I'm saying, get into a museum? Like you don't just get into a museum. Like you right. work up to being in a museum. It's a series of things that happen. Like you do the, you do the art walks and the coffee shops and uh, mm-hmm. and the little group shows that's around town. Then you do... Like the university and the show, yeah. like, you know the what I'm shows saying? that nobody comes to. Exactly, and you, <laughs> and you know what? And you do it for the practice to be ready mm-hmm. to do a show, because you know when they do call you up, you're like, you know, it's not time to. Uh, how do I frame stuff? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Like you already got to have that under your belt, and so I think that's the progression. I think that's an amazing thing to hear, yo. What do you think it was yeah. uh, about them that that made you have the? What was the first show you mentioned? Uh, Goucher. 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 Yeah, Goucher oh, show. I like, what were you? What, what was it that that they saw that was like, yo, let's get Latoya a shot? Well, and you know, the thing is that that was all old work. Um, and so I, I, it's kind of was like I've been doing this stuff, but I think it's people weren't seeing it, and right. nobody. Like, when I did show in Baltimore, it was like one piece here, one piece there, but this is like a whole space full of work and it had just a very like strong and powerful presence so i think that was the first time since i had been here and i moved here in 2013 right out of graduate school um and that was the first time that anybody had seen a significant amount of my work all in one place at the same time mm-hmm. so it just kind of made a, like a strong impact um and that was uh, kirk shannon butts who um was the curator that invited me for the second show solo show he just was so taken by the work and uh, from just from seeing that show, he's like, I got to have you in City Hall. And so those were two specific instances where people just kind of just took a chance on me, <laughs> um, just saw the value in the work. Like I didn't have to, uh, unfortunately, like the work was able to speak for itself and they just believed in it and saw the vision and then wanted to see it like in a, in a on a more grand scale. So subject wise, between the old work and the new work, like what do you think changed? Because I know that all in a lot of your new work now, like you're leaning into the motherhood, you're leaning into like having kids, you leaning into the womanness um, mm-hmm. stuff that you do. Like was, I, and I've seen your old work, but I want to know from you. Like, what do you think? The what's the shift? Yeah, I was, but I would say at the core of my work, it all revolves around the experience of Black women. Uh, kind of thinking about seeing things through the lens of my experience and how I specifically see my community. So some general things that I feel like are the core of my work. It may be necessary. I'm not like specifically saying it or putting it in an artist statement or whatever, but beauty is always a really important issue. Um, just how we ourselves define women, uh, excuse me, how black women define beauty for ourselves and kind of a rejection of, um, you know, kind of Eurocentric standards that we were kind of either taught to, you know, aspire to that are completely unrealistic and unattainable. Um, so us defining our sense of beauty for ourselves, like sisterhood, spirituality, I think is an underlying theme in my work. It doesn't necessarily come out like verbatim, but I believe that's a strong core. Um, but I, I would say the shift kind of happened in the last maybe two, three years with this particular body of work I'm working on now. It's called Salt of the Earth. Um, it's kind of been like an extended series. Uh, I don't really know when it will end. I'm just going to kind of continue to work on it until I feel like I've exhausted everything that I wanted to say. Um, but that phrase, salt of the earth, comes from the biblical scripture, Matthew 513. It you know, kind of talks about us being the salt of the earth. But what if we lose our savor? Then we're basically good for nothing. And so I kind of... And so I had the idea for the phrase salt of the earth a long time ago, but when I started having children and um, I kind of had to slow down with my art practice to accommodate transitioning into becoming a mother, I have two boys, they're five and seven. Um, it didn't, I didn't really know what that meant until I became a mother. I found out what that phrase meant for me. And so I thought about just my role as a mom, like the weight of it, the seriousness of it. You know, there was really no decision that I wasn't able to make without considering my family first. So so whether it was like what time I go to the grocery store, what my teaching schedule is going to be. You know, I had to consider my children and my family um, and my husband first. That, that was always a part of any kind of decision making process, you know, mm-hmm. whether I could go to a residency or not. Or um, so just c- kind of thinking about the weight and the seriousness of that role, but also the impact that I was having on my sons. 
Um, and it's not to take anything away from my husband, who is uh, an amazing support system for me. His name is Ariston Jackson. Yeah, hey, shout, shout out to Ariston, yo. <laughs> shout out to, <laughs> to my husband. Um, but I could tell, like, just the the relationship that I have with my sons and the the kind of, I don't want to say power, but just the relationship that I had with them and how, how important it was. Because um, a lot of, like, their first... You know, I'm their first teacher. I'm their first example of like how to interact with a woman. I'm so many firsts for them. Yeah. And just thinking about how powerful and important their role is. And so that the this idea of salt of the earth became visible for me. But also, you know, in that scripture, it kind of, it's two parts. So it's saying like you are the salt of the earth. And so I'm personifying black women as salt. And the quality, you know, there's lots of qualities of, of salt, but the quality of salt that sticks out to me is that of a preserver, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, before like refrigeration, um, people used to use salt to preserve and cure things. And so I'm thinking about myself as a preserver of my family, um, a preserver of my culture and a preserver of my community. So thinking about that in the household, but also kind of in the larger in the community, but also in the larger and broader like African black community. Um, And so but the flip side of that is like of that scripture, it talks about the salt being cast out. And so I kind of think about kind of just the how women are expected to constantly serve and pour out and give to everybody. And oftentimes that comes at the expense of us neglecting ourselves. And so just kind of making sure for myself, as I am playing all these different roles of mother, of wife, of educator, um, educator at Micah, but also homeschool my boys here at home, um, being trying to do an art, be a full-time, art, well, not full-time, but trying to be an artist and, and move my career forward, just you know, doing all these things, make sure that I don't lose myself in the process, just Latoya, like not Latoya the artist, not Latoya the mother, but just me as a person. And so making sure that that's not cast out. Um, and we kind of think about like uh, what we call it, the strong black woman uh, syndrome, right. where we yeah, feel yeah, like yeah. we have to be strong for everybody else. And we kind of neglect ourselves as um, uh, as a result of that, but really making sure to put self-care first. So that's kind of what that salt of the earth means to me. And also thinking about this idea of the matriarch, and what that means now. Um, and so I was kind of also thinking about me and all of my cousins, like when we were young, growing up together, um, we're all mothers now. And I believe all of us have sons. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ain't that and, some? And, uh, yeah. At one point, like me, me and two of my cousins, we were all pregnant at the same time. And we were all pregnant with boys. And so just kind of thinking about this idea of the matriarch um, and how that looked different maybe for my mother and grandmother, but how that looks for women now. And all of those things are kind of playing out in the series, but it, it, it kind of became a way for me to feel comfortable talking about my role as a mother. So within the series that you mentioned, um, I talk, I bring up motherhood a lot. And most of that is like self-portraiture. So just opportunities for me to talk about my role as a mother, which I was afraid to do. That's, um, when yeah, I was, that's, that's weird that yeah. you were afraid to do it. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, that's very interesting. Like, why were you afraid to do it? Um, and it was, I'm realizing as I look back on that time, it was more like subconscious fears. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I got pregnant with my first son in 2014, um, had him in 2015 and then, you know, just, you know, paint the picture. <laughs> so like I was just out of, out of graduate school, got my first real job living downtown Baltimore, you know, <laughs> In my little loft apartment, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I was here. You know, <laughs> me and Ariston were uh, were you know in a serious relationship, but long distance. And then I, I realized, I found out I got pregnant, and I was like, "Oh my god, um, what's gonna happen?" You know, I just kind of all these fears just kind of came, and I had to really question myself where those things came from. And I think part of it is just kind of subconsciously we internalize the way society feels about women, whether we know it or not. Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of questioned like my own like, capability, like, do they, will they hire me? Because at the time I was on a year to year contract and I was like, are they, they going to bring me back next year? Do they think I'm going to be able to do my job? Um, do I get maternity leave? How am I going to pay for it? And yeah. I was just kind of coming up with all these crazy schemes. I was like, okay, well, I can have the baby. I can rest for like a month and then I can have <laughs> subcontract oh, man. and then I can get back in the classroom. And I was telling another person that and they was like, you are insane. <laughs> <laughs> you're not gonna be able to do that <laughs> but um and so i when i actually you know started talking to people at work 
it was completely different of what I was expecting. Like everyone was so supportive. They found money for me, you know, to be able to take off and get maternity leave. I don't know where they found that money at. I asked no questions. I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just keep going. You know, just keep going. Yeah. And then, you know, and everything was fine. Like people didn't care. You know, I don't know how it is at other universities, but at Micah, at least at the time before Corona, um, like people didn't care if I brought the kids to work. Like if I had a meeting, you know, I was just like, well, if y'all doing this meeting at this time, this is when I have my boys because my husband is doing other things. And so, I, I mean, if y'all want me to be here, I have to bring the babies. And I was like, oh, yeah, just it's fine. Just bring them. Um, so all these I really had to question myself about where did those fears come from in the first place? Because my actual experience was everything opposite. And then I just kind of got to a point where I was like, this is my life. Um, this is you know, a big part of who I am. And I think one of the things that's so powerful about my work is that it comes from a very authentic place. And so I'm able to kind of do these portraits and where you can feel um, the experience of the sitters and also the experience of myself. So it's kind of a became a natural thing for me to talk about. Um, you know, I don't know how long that will you know, continue to be a part of the conversation, but that's definitely a big part of the conversation right now. Yeah, I, I think I want to go back a little bit and talk about when you mentioned the beauty standards, because when you talk about internalizing these like different negative stereotypes that you or even emotions that you feel um, that affected your view on motherhood and how people would treat you. Obviously, the same thing would happen with beauty standards. Right. When you talk about redefining uh, against these Eurocentric uh, views of beauty to black bodies, black women and the ways that they do and progress. I think about a piece, a birth of a mother. Right. Where you got the, mm-hmm. the pregnant woman sitting on with the robe. This is that's me. Yeah, I know it's you. <laughs> but it also, and but to that point, it also reminded me so much of my wife of sitting, having her sit on the couch just that same way when she was pregnant with my daughter, like when mm-hmm. we, back when we had our townhouse. And so, like this kind of relatability in in the way that you're considering beauty. Um, tell me about that a little bit. Yeah, the, so it used to come from a place of trying to prove, you know, trying to prove that we're beautiful or prove that we're just as good as anybody else. But yeah. I, I kind of got to a point where it's like, I don't care what you think. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of trying to prove all these things that we are, I'm just going to walk in it and display it. And so I feel like that's kind of what I'm doing um, in my work, just showing the multifacetedness of us mm-hmm. um, and, and our beauty. It, is, it comes from, no longer from a place of trying to prove something to you. Um, this is what I am. Either you accept it or you don't. Um, you know, I'm going to bask in in my flyness. And so, um, you know, if you kind of look at the portraits, I do take a lot of time thinking about the hair, thinking about the adornment, thinking about I was kind of pretending like I'm a stylist dressing people, <laughs> um, dressing people in in the work. So, you know, whether whether it's a color palette or like what kind of pattern they're going to have on their, you know, top or like will these color earrings go with this and like if their hands are showing like what kind of nail polish they're going to have on so i take a lot of time and care to really think about those things those really sometimes things that we don't really consider or we may feel insignificant but they have like a really you know strong impact and and i I find a lot of times that you know we have this phrase like the devil's in the details Mm -hmm. but i don't know i feel like the the glory is in the details so picking up on these like sometimes seemingly insignificant things that are important. And I think that's also kind of the power of the carving out time piece that you mentioned um, is up at the Baltimore Museum of Art. So another shift for me with that work in particular is I've been really thinking about how to expand portraiture for me. Um, And so with a lot of my works, it kind of follows this standard uh, format of like the figure and then with like some type of pattern background or something like that. Um, But I really wanted to break into what I like to call narrative portraiture, where it's not just I'm not just showing you the physicality of the person. You kind of draw your conclusions about who they may be, but it's really placing them in environments with objects and spaces that give you a little bit more insight into who this person could be. So that was the goal for um, carving out time Um, where it's, again, it's another um, portrait, but I I describe it as a portrait of a day. 
So I'm giving you a look in my life as a mother and practicing artist from the very start of the day and all the way to like me ending in the studio, which is always the goal <laughs> for, <laughs> for an artist. <laughs> yeah. I think for an artist, uh, women artists who are mothers, that that's like always the goal. How can I get to the studio? <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed, right? Um, like we actually <laughs> we actually get to right. there. And so I really wanted to give like really intimate spaces. And so I was kind of talking about uh, details and things that sometimes we may feel is insignificant. So I was really specific about um, constructing those spaces, who was going to be in each space at, at what particular point in the work, what everybody was wearing, the type of objects that were going to be there, what would be on the floor, what would be on the wall. So there was a lot of planning um, that went into constructing those works. And I wanted to be very believable. I wanted the spaces to feel very lived in and for you to kind of think about your own spaces, like what, you know, what are your favorite slippers that you like to walk around in the house and what's your favorite cup, <laughs> you know, what type of um, artwork do you have on your walls to kind of transport people mm-hmm. to their own spaces, but like kind of through looking at my space too. There's a level of, of you use the word intimacy and there, there's a extreme level of intimacy in letting somebody in your life, even using uh references of yourself as your portraiture right um mm-hmm. tell me about how you dealt with that part of it like when you really started to use yourself as a subject not not just figuratively as in your thoughts and expressions but literally <laughs> you and pictures of you as the main focus of your of your practice because I, I see that happening in a lot of there's a lot of women that are now like doing these self portraits. And I think of Fahamu Piku is is uh, mm-hmm. at the forefront of that um, too. So tell me about that. And I think ultimately, I think that really comes from being able to speak from a place of authenticity. Like I can talk about like mothering isn't the same for everybody or the concept of, of motherhood, mm-hmm. but I can talk about what it is for me through like my work. And hopefully there's other people that can um, find some type of resonance with that, something that they can latch on to as well. Um, and, I, you know, I, I define my work as being universal and specific. So it's specific that I'm a lot of times showing the lens of like my own experience but it's universal in the fact that, like you said, like you looked at that portrait, Birth of a Mother, and you were able to see your wife mm-hmm. in that based on your experience, um, you know, of interacting with her during the time that she was pregnant. So that's really important for me is that people, regardless, like any, I feel like anybody should be able to look at my work and take something away from it, even though it's I'm kind of channeling it through my experience as a black woman. And, and I don't know if like, I don't know. I still have a lot of things that I want to say and talk about in terms of my experience, but I don't necessarily want every portrait to be, you know, of me specifically. And, you Mm -hmm. know, with this series, there's a lot of portraits of other women. But when I'm talking about something that is, you know, or I'm channeling a specific experience or something that I have done or um, something that I want to see, sometimes I'll use myself because it's easier to talk about that through yourself. yeah, so I think that answers that question. I think. No, no, it does. <laughs> it does. That was great, Joe. And so we're leading into carving time, and I, I'm gonna like sit with this one a little bit because I I think this is is worth just two printmakers nerding out over like how you were <laughs> able to like come up with this amazing amazing thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, how long did it take you? Yeah, so it's, you know, I've been getting that question a lot. I've been doing a lot of um, tours with my classes from students at MICA and then uh, just kind of groups or I just happen to be, you know, in the museum and, you know, start talking about it. But um, I, you know, and my response is varied. But one thing that I want people to consider is that the work starts way before you pick up the pencil. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Or the pen. And so. Um, well, I guess I can kind of go into that by talking about how the opportunity came about. So I saw, um, you know, Carrie James Marshall's large. Uh, oh, yeah. Train. Oh, yeah. 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 So that was yeah, that's kind of the core inspiration for the scale of the work. So the content came from me walk, working through this Salt of the Earth series and thinking about myself as a mother. But that scale really came from like, I think the first time I saw that was with Ariston. We were in New Orleans. And we saw the 30 Americans exhibition. And so he had told me about that work. So first of all, he was the first person that introduced me to Carrie James Marshall. Because, you know, when I was a young artist, I didn't know anybody. Shout out to Harrison yeah. again, yo, coming through. <laughs> God, my man. Yeah, we would have conversations 
And he was like, yeah, such and such artist. I wouldn't know who they were. He's like, man, how you know, how you going to be an artist and don't know none of these artists? <laughs> so, but anyway, we, he started, you know, he was a, he's a really big character. He's a Marshall fan. And so he talked about that print, but we actually saw it in person. I think it was like 2014. Oh, that's amazing. And yeah. He, we saw it, The first time we saw it was in 2014 in new orleans and i was just like flabbergasted you know and that's like 30 feet how how big is it i don't well it's it's i'm not uh, sure the exact footage but it's 12 like 12 panels yeah yeah uh mine is 15 but um, (laughs) (laughs) take that carrie (laughs) (laughs) um but so he was like you should do something like this you know, because I was really, you know, into my practice with relief carbon. I was like, mm, nah. <laughs> <laughs> but I saw it again in 2019 in Miami. I was at, uh, visiting there for Basel um, and I saw it at the Rules Museum. And it just kind of like my heart just fluttered like all over again. I just fell in love <laughs> with that work all over again. And so it went from, you know, my sh- my shift, my mentality changed. So it was it went from like, no, nah, I can't do nothing like that to like, I think I could possibly do something like this. And so I like took all kind of videos and pictures of it. And then like on the on the plane home, I just kept watching the video of that work. And then it went from like, I think I can do something to like, I want to do something. And then by the time I got home, it was like, I'm going to do something yeah. on that scale. Yeah. And I hadn't quite decided what it would be, but I had just decided like, I'm going to do something that big. Um, and then I was around the house working, you know, just thinking about, oh, these kids messing up the house. <laughs> <laughs> and then I came across the book, Please Baby Please. Are you familiar? Yeah, yeah, I know that book, yeah. Yeah, so it's like, you know, the little girl starts like three in the morning because yeah. she woke up and her parents trying to get up to go back to bed. And then it goes like through the whole day. Yeah. I'm um, still putting her to sleep. And I was like, oh, somebody need to make a book like this, but for mothers to talk about all the stuff you do in a day. And I was like, the light bulb came on. I was like, that's it. That's what I can make the large woodcut about, you know, um, a portion of my day from start to finish. Uh, and so that's kind of how like it burst. And then like, a little bit after I came up with the idea, I told Erickson about it. He got excited, was gassing me up. He's like, what we need to do to make it happen? And I was like, I don't know. It's going to be big. I was like, maybe we could push the dining room table across and I can work on the floor. We can, <laughs> we can move the couch out the way. Um, and so shortly after that, Leela Grothy, who is the curator at the Baltimore Museum of Art, um, she asked to do a studio visit with me. And at the end of the visit, she asked what was the next big thing that I wanted to do or what did I feel like I needed to happen or what what was um, important for me to kind of move my career along. So I talked about a couple of specific goals that I had. And then, you know, normally I don't tell my business about stuff. Like if I have an idea for something, I usually don't <laughs> tell people about it. To live stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm learning like you need to know, like if there's somebody around who could possibly help bring something. Yeah, you got to know who to tell. Yeah. Yeah, you got to know when to talk. So yeah. I I talked about that work. I was like, oh, it's a big work. She is a curator at a museum. Museums have big walls. They <laughs> big work. <laughs> so I, I said, oh, I have a great idea. This this work that I want to do is a life-size portrait of my day from start to finish. It's going to be this relief carving. And so I just kind of talked about how excited I was to do that work. And literally, like maybe like two weeks later, she called and invited me to participate in the um, show at the BMA. So it's like, once I made the decision to that I'm going to do this, like everything kind of fell in place Yeah, for me to be able to get it done. So it's like divine. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing, yo. That's amazing. You have a great video, um, a full length video on YouTube about like going through the whole process too. And so Mm -hmm. starting off like doing like, basically photo shoots with your kids then you like collaging the different pieces together like talk a little Mm -hmm. bit about that process yeah so the first thing that i that i did um aside from just like mentally thinking about like how i was going to get this work done because i didn't get started on it when i was supposed to because you know covid happened and um like i said i found out i was in the sondheim so i had to make new work for that um so but like I was saying, like the thinking of it, I was always thinking about what how to enter into it and how to get it done and what the logistics of it will look like. So even before I like started the sketches, I was always thinking about how to enter into that work. Um, but one of the first things that I did was I just literally wrote out what I, what I do every day. So I wrote out, get up, make breakfast, 
do this, prepare the homeschool lesson. And then so it just became a list of like too many things. And I was like, girl, <laughs> you can't make more <laughs> about all <this> stuff. <laughs> so, but the solution became to think about like phases of the day. Um, and I knew I wanted it, wanted the work to be like 15 panels. Um, and so just kind of, but that, that also, uh, but because I, I knew the space that it was going to be in ahead of time, like I had plans for the gallery space. Um, so I knew like the limits of what, what size work could go in that space. And so that kind of, I thought, well, the, the solution would be to simplify it into five phases of the day. So it, the phases are morning time, um, homeschool and housework, dinner time, bedtime for the boys and then the studio. So they represent like all the things that could happen in that particular part of the day. Right. But I have to kind of simplify it and think about, well, what's the most important scene that I want to depict for that time of day? So for me, like morning time, I was like, well, do I want to show us at the table eating breakfast or do I want to show like us waking up in the in the morning? So I decided for that scene, I would show me getting up in the morning to show the start of the day because I didn't want to do two like two dinner scenes or two scenes where we're eating. Yeah. And so I decided, well, the dinner scene will be will show us eating. And so it's kind of like those negotiations of like, well, what what's going to be in this first part? What best represents the second phase of the day? What represents the third and fourth and fifth? Um, so that's kind of how it started. And then I just kind of literally did like stick figure sketches. Like, this is the room, how many people, if this is the bedroom, who all, who's going to be in the bedroom at this point of the day, what type of stuff is going to be in there. And so based on the loose sketches, I met with Ariston. Again, shout out. Uh, yes, <laughs> the man. You know, he's a photographer also, in addition to like being a fine artist. And so I sat with him to kind of talk about what well, this is what I want to be happening um, I, you know, the light should come in from this way. And so we picked it after we went through and talked about all of the sketches, we went through um, and did a day of photo shoots. So he just had a, his little remote on his camera. Um, we, and we just started at the top of the day. I didn't want it to feel like super staged, even though I kind of had to, because there's children involved, I had to give them some direction. But we literally just went through the day. He just set up the camera in like different parts of, of each room in space that I wanted. And we literally documented our entire day. And then from there, I kind of had to divide the photos into like phase one, phase two, and so on. Um, and then I used those to kind of do like more detailed sketches. And so it was kind of a combination of maybe pulling from like maybe six or seven different photos to mm -hmm. create each scene, mm -hmm. which is new for me. Like that was a very new process for me. Cause like I said, I normally just did like one figure or two figures in a very simple space or a very simple background. And then once I had the drawings to scale, I kind of drew them like with more detail so I can understand like how the um, depth is going to look, how the volume is going to look. Um, and making them like the same ratio of the actual wood panel so that when I did them to scale, I can say, okay, well, two inches on my drawing means like three feet yeah. in actual yeah. on the actual panels. And so that helped me to kind of get the drawings on the panels. And then I could say, okay, well, this figure is supposed to be this many feet down. The feet are supposed to be here. <laughs> um, and so just kind of, yeah, using those drawings as a way to scale up the work. Nah, that's and amazing. Then that, yeah. yeah, and then after that, it was the carving, you know. This is Alexis McGregg. I am a visual and performing artist, and you are listening to Studio Noise. Ah, hey, now that's the part that I'm wondering about the carving. Yo. How, how was that for you? Like it on such a massive scale, like it's 15 of these like huge things. You know, I've carved mm -hmm. large wood blocks that size too. Uh, not yeah. with this amount of detail that you have either. Right. So what was well, that process like? How many how many carving tools did you go through? <laughs> like it like so this whole time. Well, I didn't so I had a lot of different things. So fortunately, you know, we did that um promo thing with Flex Cut. Oh yeah, like, yeah, did yeah. I did that too. Yeah, like, big oh, shout get, out. Yeah, you can get five hundred dollars credit. So I was like, I'm using my five hundred dollars. <laughs> 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 I got every tool that I felt I could possibly be. Nobody knew know what it was. I was like, if this can be useful, we'll see what it does. <laughs> <laughs> um, but something for me that I had to be really mindful of, mindful of was pacing myself. 
Um, so that is a lot of work, a lot of wear and tear on your hands. So yeah. I kind of times where I had to restrain myself and like, even though I was like, oh, I'm going good. I'm in the zone. Um, it's like, okay, well, you need to rein it in because you got to come back tomorrow. Yeah. You hit the, th- hit the also, limit. Yeah. Yeah. And I also made sure to take breaks while I was working. So maybe after, you know, an hour or so I would stop and just kind of massage my hands, stretch them, um, take a look at what I've done and assess um, what was happening so far. But did you have a daily goal, like in terms of carbon, like I want to get, you know, two feet of it done mm-hmm. to finish or something like that? So, yeah. The, so on that first. So I had thought that I was going to like um draw everything and then carve everything but after i drew the first panel i realized or the first scene i was like oh, that, that really doesn't make sense and then i didn't want to have to do a lot of like switching out mm-hmm. of the boards and so each there's three um eight by four foot panels that make up each scene of the work um and so we use like a velcro system airston like put velcro on the walls and um i was able to like adhere the boards to the wall so i could work upright instead of like on the floor because mm-hmm. it's so large, you need, to, you need to be able to step back and see everything. Yeah. Um, and so it, I also had kind of built in breaks, too, because I decided instead of trying to draw all five scenes and then carve all five, I just worked on one scene in, until its entirety and then switched the panels out and started the next one. So I kind of had some time to let my hand recuperate from the carving because I would spend maybe a week or so on the drawing before I got it. Right, carving. right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah, man. But it was, yeah, that's it brought out a lot of like um project management skills. Where <laughs> <laughs> um, you were you were asking about like timekeeping. And so I started keeping a log. Um especially with that first scene, I kept a log. So I would write um like, you know, Tuesday. I got here at, you know, I don't know, two o'clock in the afternoon, and then I would, you know, write what time I left and then I would assess what I did and kind of look at the time and say, okay, it took me five hours to carve this thing. It took me um, four hours to carve this thing. And that would kind of give me sort of an idea of how I was working and a way to pace myself. Mm -hmm. Then so I would kind of just set goals for the next day. Um, So, okay, well, when I come back to the studio tomorrow, I need to have this chair carved, this um, whatever. Uh, And then so that kind of gave me a way to look back and pace myself. And so by the first scene, I was able to kind of judge how long it would take to get the other scenes done. Um, Of course, some some of them took a little longer, a little shorter, depending on like the complexity. But that log is really, really important for me to kind of pace myself. And yeah, yeah, keep things moving along so I can say, oh, well, you you know, kind of slowing down. You may need to pick it up. <laughs> yeah, I need uh, to pick it, it up. Yeah. <laughs> no, that, this is this is, and it's this is a phenomenal thing to be able to show your class too, because to me, this is a master class on directional mark making. Like just in terms of being able to see different objects just simply based on the turn of your tool, right? Like I'm thinking about the the bedroom scene, like right there, having that that blanket that y'all have on the bed how it comes up and then rounds over then it's the the uh the folds and got your bodies underneath the covers with kids on top of it like i mean this is exceptional yeah. stuff we're talking about this ain't you know, this, 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 not, <laughs> this is not no uh no no um hobbyists <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah. making making yeah. little birds like this is this is a uh, this is next level stuff back to, <laughs> you know what i mean like tell me how how hard was it for you to conceive of and then kind of physically do the rendering of the objects and the different planes and stuff like that yeah that does just goes back to drawing one-on-one so taking those basic drawing skills you know and which is so important and, and i think something that you just can't get away from i think no matter what type of work you do as an artist like being able to draw and understanding like value mm-hmm. understanding um contour and cross contour perspective um, yeah yeah, perspective, understanding mark making in general. I think for me, by, by the way, I carve because I do like to carve in a lot of detail. Understanding like value is really important. Like having a gradient of tones, but doing that through linear tonality. You know, instead of just like how we would shape with like a graphite pencil or something like that. Um, but it so as an as an educator, I always like kind of harp on like these fundamental things, taking very simple concepts, but um, executing them on like more complex imagery. When you break it down to the simple form, it's still line, line weight, direction, yeah. <laughs> shape, form, value. Like if you don't master those things, like it's kind of hard to kind of venture out and do other things. Like you have to learn the rules in order to be able to break them. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's, yeah, that's my strength as a teacher and as um, an artist. It's like I, I work observationally. And so I'm really like connecting with whatever imagery that I am um, portraying. But I think, and I also don't, don't uh, see the way that I work in printmaking any different than how I'm working with a painting. Um, like the way I'm seeing value is very, is the same. And so I understand things like like tonally is how I like understand things best. Like when I'm drawing, like just with graphite or charcoal, those like tonal changes and tonal shifts are how I kind of see things and interpret yeah. things where yeah. like somebody like, you know, my husband or um, his, his work is very linear when he draws. Like the cross hatching thing is like, he can work with line really well, but I have to figure out how to translate that smooth like tone that I'm used to working with, with drawing or in painting into the carving. Um, but that for me, I think that comes well through just like a sense of value and just being really um, analytical about what it is uh, <laughs> that I'm drawing. Like what's the brightest value? What's the darkest value? What are the midtones? What yeah, are the shadows? Yeah, yeah. You have to be really attentive to those things. Cause you leave something out is not the, the effect is not going to come across. Yeah. And I'm going to emphasize that, that point about drawing one more time, you know, for the people that's listening, you know, you like, you gotta, you gotta do the basics. So, so now I think that changed how I, I teach drawing one at Georgia state. So um, it changed how I look at the drawing one class. So now when mm-hmm. I'm, I'm making drawing one class, the first thing I tell them is like, yo, we're not here to make art. I'm here to teach you how to draw, how to see. And so right. don't think about like making an art project for a portfolio in my class, not in drawing <laughs> one. Like that's not what we're here for. Like I'm, like the last project, I want you to bring it all together and do whatever it is creatively that you want to do. But by the time you get there, you'll understand how to draw an ellipse. You know what I'm saying? Like you understand yeah. like how to sight measure. You understand perspective. Like you understand a range of values inside of a drawing before you get to the drawing. Cause you have to, you have to have that understanding first, yo. Just emphasis, just putting it, just if you're listening, yo, go draw some more. Like don't. <laughs> yeah. Especially for those of us who don't work in color. Exactly. Like with that piece is like, it's nothing, you know, and I love color. Like I, I'm kind of start bringing more color into my work, kind of um, leaning into the spring and summer. But if you're just working in just like charcoal or graphite, it's like, you can't lie. Like yeah. people going to know it's you, there, can, yeah. you can draw or you can't. Yeah. Um, you put the, the so best value. No po- yeah. You put the best value yeah. possible on a, on a wonky looking cup. It's still a wonky looking cup, yo. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like you in my class, I like I'm trying to get you like, yo, if you can draw this cup on this table and make it look like this cup is on this table, then you can draw. <laughs> like then we're ready to go. Like before you <laughs> before that, like, you know, it's no need for me to give you no expressive assignments because you can't do it. You can't even imagine to do it because you don't have the skills yet. Yeah. Like I said, even if you choose to, to work, you know, um, you got to learn the rules before you can break them and break them to where they make sense. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. And people know that you're trying to break the rules and after you just can't draw. <laughs> exactly. So. so a little bit more about uh, the scenes, the way you set them up. You have a uh, beautiful, I would all, I would call them recreation of master work inside of the, of the pieces. Right. So right. you got Catlick, you got Carrie James Marshall in there, Margaret Burroughs, my girl from Chicago. Like you, you, you got them all in there. Tell me the importance and value of putting that stuff in virtually every scene. Well, no, not virtually in every scene that you have. You have these yeah. artworks. Well, that so this work is has like it's so many layers to this work. Like I said, we can harp on it from the t- technical aspect of drawing. We can harp on it from like the aspect of uh, printmaking. We can talk about um, the you know talk about the black family as a subject matter in portraiture and museums. We can talk about so many things. But another layer to the work for me was um, talking about collecting work like as an artist i feel like you know you need to be collecting work too yeah. <laughs> so if you want you want people to buy your work you need to be getting work for whatever <laughs> work you can you know not yeah. you know everybody can afford a carriage marshall but you know you can afford something you know just as, as partaking as a part of this ecosystem of art yeah. that we're trying to uphold you know everybody has has their part to play um but also they're talking about the art of collecting surrounding my boys around their culture so making sure that they can experience it on their walls every day 
which we do. We have our work up and out so the boys can see it. They can learn how to act around art. <laughs> so when they go to the museum, <laughs> right, yeah. they'll know we, we can't touch this stuff. You know, we train them. You don't touch the stuff in the house. You look at it. You can ask questions about it, but don't touch it. Don't, you know, spill stuff on it. Um, so training them in that way. But it was also a way for me to pay respect to people who have... Um, have influenced my practice in some way um kind of thinking about you know we always talk about the old masters like in the in the western canon those people who kind of are the go-tos that everybody talks about but thinking about what those people are for me but um through the lens of the black art canon Mm -hmm. which they should be a part of any canon like any type of canon uh, we have they should be you know uh, forerunners in that. Oftentimes they're not, but it's kind of my uh, appreciation for them. Um, you know, me living vicariously through this imagined home space, <laughs> my, <laughs> like my dream, my part, things that would be in my dream collection that I can't afford, but I can I can put it up in this artwork <laughs> in this space. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so just to pay homage to them, to them. Um, you know, I think anybody who has heard me do an art, artist talk, I always talk about Elizabeth Catlett. Uh, being my um, art mother, um, she kind of was the one that seeing her work really influenced me to take printmaking really seriously. Um, I never really intended to be a printmaker. Um, I started out as a painting major in undergrad. Um, but when my professor introduced me to her work, I was like, oh, pr- printmaking can do this. Like you can do this with printmaking. Um, and so I just kind of fell in love with relief through seeing her work. And then I, re- I referenced Margaret Burroughs who I never learned about her in school, but I, I discovered her work when I was um, in graduate school at Purdue University. I came across her print, Mother Africa, which mm-hmm. is uh, yes. the print I'm recreating um, in that in Carving Out Time. So that was the first work that I had ever seen where somebody used like stippling instead of line right, to yeah. create portrait. And I was like, oh, no, oh, that's dope. <laughs> and so, you know, I after seeing that, I started to look at her work more. Um, there's a reference to Valerie Maynard, who is another black woman printmaker, old school black woman printmaker. Yeah, who, that was the you, that was the breakfast scene, right? No, that's in um in the dinner scene. The dinner the scene, middle. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's her print. It's titled Stephanie, I believe is how you pronounce it. Um, but I didn't learn about her work until maybe four years ago like as an adult and I'm just like how did I never know about Valerie Maynard's, <laughs> <laughs> Valerie Maynard's work she's yeah. like a printmaker which kind of goes again for me another reason is to like let you know about these people yeah um do my work and just it's and then being a part of black women of print there's so many other black women printmakers that I did not know about so which kind of shows like just the lack of research um that's been done and documentation of them or at least it's not being shared in like mainstream like public education at least um not to say that the research isn't there i just don't think it's always shared um and of course we have carrie james marshall in that dinner scene as well um that that piece is titled club couple Mm -hmm. um kind of like you know foreshadowing the relationship between me and my husband um and then other pieces as a reference to basquiat in the boys room um my husband Arison has a painting uh in in their room also my boys have uh, their artwork on the wall <laughs> um in their bedroom scene and then in the final scene it's just me like in my studio space yeah. with uh my own works in progress as well ah that's amazing you know so many levels to to this whole thing you know like that that's when you really know you got something when you know the <laughs> conversation is is so multifaceted you can do a lecture on every part of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, and I want, I want to, I want to touch on, and, and we've talked about Arison a little bit and how I view it kind of as a, as a, as a black artist and a printmaker and a father myself. Like I see if it's about motherhood, it's about you specifically, but it's so, he's so omnipresent. And even in the mm-hmm. process of making it in, in all the images, I mean, he's got kids on his back, you know, he's, you know, handing out plates at the dinner table. Like he's there with you and that right. kind of partnership. So in a way it's not, it is about black motherhood. It's also black, about black, black fatherhood and black mm-hmm. family. Like you described. Yeah. I would say, I was summing up to say the black family through, through my lens. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, and, and he, like I talked about, like we show our real life, but that's real life. Um, 
He's there. That's, that's literally, <laughs> yeah. that's literally our, you know, and then that kind of counters that narrative, like the black men aren't there for their families, which yeah. is so untrue. Yeah, completely. Yo. Yeah, it's so untrue. Like that is, that's still their, like their routine. They're getting a little bit too big to be like on his back. Now. <laughs> but that's still, that's like, that's literally their thing. And I just love to like sit back and watch them play <laughs> um, in the floor. Uh, you know, that's, that's our life. You know, that whole waking up in the morning thing, that's, that's, you know, you only see that on like Hallmark commercials, but like, <laughs> but that was literally our thing. I remember one time it was so serious, like before they could actually jump up in the bed, we have a little step ladder that they use to, to wash their hands in the kitchen. They went and got the step ladder <laughs> out in our room. <laughs> <laughs> it's like use that to climb in the bed. Time out some morning, mommy. I'm like, what do you have? You? <laughs> you got, how are you in this bed? You want to got the step ladder? Yeah. So like and it goes to the sense of visibility and intimacy. Um and things that you are kind of I would say that the mainstream is kind of like doesn't necessarily associate with like a wholesome together black family right yeah in this in this home with this nice nice artwork on the walls but that's like you know that's we only you know we ain't got a character in marshall but we have some local artists but you know we do have those things like in our home that's like an authentic representation of our life and so by showing that i'm hopefully that you can see us but then see yourself too and i feel like at the core you know we all want the same thing for our families we all have the, the same desires they just sometimes maybe take on different aesthetics mm-hmm but at the core of them, they're all the same. Um, but just kind of going back to what you were saying about the family and him and his presence, like he is um, my number one supporter. Um, and I will say that, you know, I do do a lot. And um, as he calls me, I'm a bad member channel. <laughs> so <he> like, <laughs> but um, I am just so blessed to have a partner who is so supportive and down and understanding and i just don't know what people artists do who aren't with the other artists like i don't know how y'all i don't know <laughs> it's working for me some people are like how are you with another artist i'm like how are you not with another artist <laughs> um it just it works for us but i think that at the core we respect each other as people yeah we respect each other as artists like we keep it real about the art he like tells me when something is looking bad i do the same for him he's like mm, you need to go back <laughs> and work on that some more you know it's just that that mutual respect and um partnership and yeah and, and so i did this work partially when i was on sabbatical um I started in 20 at the midways of 2020 and ended through like spring of 2021. So I was on a semester uh, sabbatical that semester. And so he was just like, do whatever you need to do to get the work done. And so there would be some days where I would, you know, get up, eat breakfast, um, maybe do a, a couple lessons with the boys. And he was like, I, I got it. You go, go do your work. And I would stay like until nighttime sometimes. Yeah. Um, but just having that, that support from him and he was like had to put stuff on hold that he had that he had to do it was just really like nice to have that support and i've never ever um had to make the decision of like having to not be an artist to to fulfill these other roles in my life i've I've been able to kind of do everything which i'm really thankful for yeah that's beautiful yo that's absolutely wonderful yeah yeah big shout out to aaronson yo we're gonna get him on a podcast too <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing, yo. And one another benefit of doing um printmaking is now you have the blocks as an individual installation, but now you also have the prints as an individual mm-hmm. installation that you can send out to be in other places. So now it's not like this one painting has to be in this one place only here. Like you can spread it out over the universe, right? And just like right. you put your prints in Elizabeth Catlett show, Elizabeth Catlett pointed points of contact down at uh, SCAD in Savannah. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me how that experience was like getting to be with your hero, Elizabeth Catlett, in the same space in the same exhibition. Oh, man, that was so great. And so um, when DJ Hellerman, who was a, the curator that emailed me, he was like, hey, Latoya, um, we're just wondering if you would be in this show. It's going to be titled Elizabeth Catlett. I was like, you don't got to say nothing else. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Elizabeth Catlett. <laughs> yeah. That's all I need to know. Um, but yeah, speaking of the prints, I was um, fortunate to be able to produce uh, an edition of two and an artist proof that I'm keeping. Um, yes, keep it. Of, <laughs> yeah, of, the, of the whole thing. So, yes. you know, I 
it, it won't work. Um, ideally, for me, I want to have everything shown together because, again, the whole concept is to experience the whole day, mm-hmm. uh, which the wood blocks, they can, you know, you got to show the wood blocks all together. I have been um, giving people the opportunity to show individual scenes of the prints, but it's only for things that I like feel are significant. And so for me, they only have room to maybe show one of those things. And so... I was like, yeah, awesome. Um, whatever you, you know, just let me know which one you want to show. Um, and they, they chose scene one because that Elizabeth Callett print that I carved above our bed was actually in the show. Oh, really? Yeah. So, <laughs> That's dope. Like when you when you stood in front of my piece, like down the other hallway, you could see the actual work. Wow. So it was like a cool experience to have, um, you know, my my uh, master study of that work and then the actual thing to be like in the same show yeah. together. So. Yeah, that was a really great experience. And ah, I was that's able awesome. I was able to go down and um, give an artist talk and be there for a few days. Um, they invited a couple of members from Black Women in Print to do a lecture um, about Black women in printmaking. And so, you know, SCAD, like, they got it together. <laughs> it was such a great... <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it, it looked like a great show, yeah. Yeah, just even them, like, um, Joel Diaz was another host for me. Um He's over the, well, I'm going to mess up the name, but he's over the the African-American um, center that they have there. Uh, so it was just a really great all-around experience. They were very hospitable. No, nah, that's great, Joe. That's that's how you're supposed to do it right there. It, it comes mm-hmm. full circle. But then again, it comes always comes back to the work, yo. You mm-hmm. put in the time and effort to make this incredible thing. The thing has its own power and it starts to like has its own gravitational pull almost <laughs> like you you get uh, all these other people attention sucked into it because of, of how amazing it is, you know? Yeah. And I think that's kind of goes back to like Carrie James Marshall. One thing that I love about him as a person and like listening to him in his talks, he kind of talks about being unapologetic about the type of imagery that you're making. And um, he made a decision early like I went to these museums, I didn't see any black people. I want to be in these places and I'm going to make sure that I'm doing what I need to do to get there. And so that's kind of um, what I'm thinking about now. It's like if you want to be this certain type of artist or this certain caliber of artist, you have to make work that reflects that Yeah. as well. So that's kind of, I don't know, the way I'm on now. And then also when I was like, Find out the show's gonna be at the BMA. I was just like, I can't be looking bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these people gonna see me every day. They gonna clown me on every day if it ain't come through. <laughs> but now it's, now it's different. Bad. You have to, you have to come with it. Yeah, but now, but now it's different. Like, like I imagine this has to raise your profile, not just nationally, but in the Baltimore area, like where you are. It has to raise your profile, like extremely. Like you, I, you yeah. know, like can you can you walk in the streets without you know having to sign napkins and stuff like that? I don't even gonna say all that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's been really like it's it's just been a really amazing experience. Number, I think for me mostly to see how people react to the work when I'm in the the um, space with people. Mm-hmm. I've gotten so many people have emailed me just saying how they saw the work and they were just so moved by it. One lady was like, she just had to sit on the bench for like an hour and just sit in the space. And look and how she just saw herself and thought about her and her own children. Um, I had one student, I took a class there. One one thing that was really important to me, one student was like, they were talking about their family experiences. And she said, I didn't have a good family experience. But she said, I feel like I can feel that through your work. Mm. And that just made me feel so honored and um and so proud. So, you know, I don't have people like asking for autographs and stuff, but I can say that people <laughs> in the area <laughs> are appreciative um, of the work. So that that makes me really happy. Oh, man. When I, when I come through up there, I want you to sign some napkins or T-shirts or something like I, I'm, I'm going to need that autograph, girl. <laughs> well, hopefully, hopefully, like my next thing is to do a book. So I'm working on a monograph that hopefully I can Ooh. get done by summer. So you don't have to get a napkin. You can get a <laughs> <laughs> nah, I'm gonna take it, yo. I'm gonna take it. And like, so, last thing we'll talk about is the Black Woman of Print, yo. You mentioned it before. Like, um, I've had mm-hmm. all, I've, I've a lot of y'all on the podcast. I love my print sisters, all y'all, like coming yeah. through doing this amazing work. Yo, always support y'all. Tell me a little bit about the about the the latest show, the A Contemporary Black Matriarchal Lineage in Printmaking. Great name that y'all had. 
for this amazing show. Yeah. So that was curated by um, Delita Martin and Tanikia Word, which Tanikia Word is the founder of Black Women of Print. Um, that first debuted at High Point Center for Printmaking in uh, Minnesota. Um, so the gist of the show was to bring 12 contemporary black women printmakers who are active and working now together to all exhibit. I don't think at the point in time, I don't think everybody was a member of Black Women of Print, but they it was curated by Tanikia and Delita, bringing specific um, black women printmakers together. Yeah. And just in terms of like scholarship wise, that was like the first show ever of black women printmakers by black women printmakers about black women printmakers who were active and like living and working. Um, you have to get the Tanikia to, to like talk to you about it in a more scholarly way. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that was yeah. basically historically like the first show of its kind. So it was, a um, I was able to go down and go to the opening and it was just such a great experience. Cause like up until now we had all just been like talking on zoom and on the phone and via email. So I had, you know, I knew Delita already, um, you know, from when she used to, I met her when she taught in Arkansas in my undergrad. So I had already met Delita. I knew her. We were already. Oh, I didn't know she taught you at your undergrad. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we met, we, you know, we already knew each other, but everybody else, this, that was the first time we were seeing each other in person, like after three years. So <laughs> it was like, you know, a family reunion yeah. <laughs> type situation. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that show was great. There was a catalog produced that um, Tanikia and Delita made sure that it was able to be given away for free just to make it equitable for people. Um, and then the second iteration of that show is currently up at Claire Oliver Gallery. Um, so not all the original works from the first show are there, but there's some, you know, it's kind of another uh, version of that show. But we do have another show opening. It opens tomorrow. Actually, oh Lord, titled, oh, yeah, yeah. It's titled uh, "What the Mirror Said," um, Black Women of Print, and it's opening at St. Lawrence University in Canton, New York. So, man, y'all um, are getting it done, yo. God, yeah. Oh, so I'm really excited about the work that I'm showing in that show. I just finished a series of portraits on the founding members of Black Women of Print. Um, a total of seven portraits that I literally just finished. I was working down to the wire, so <laughs> <laughs> um, I literally just packed packed them up like Tuesday and shipped them off and the show opens tomorrow. <laughs> oh man. Girl, um, you so, you're yeah. getting it done, yo. <laughs> you are you out here getting it done. That's a, that's <laughs> hardcore right there. Like yo, yes, yeah. Uh, I love it, yo. I'm gonna have to go I told Tanikia, yo, I'm gonna have to go get my my Medea wig and, and join Black Woman of Print. <laughs> So, so I can get in on some of this fun, yo. Y'all doing too much, yo. I can't, I can't stand not being a part of it. I'm playing. I'm, I'm joking with you. I love seeing, I love seeing y'all work. I love all the stuff y'all doing. I love my printmakers, and I love you, Miss Latoya Hobbs. You know, you know, you one of my favorites, yo. Absolutely. Tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, so you can find me a few ways on IG. You can find me at, at Latoya Hobbs. That's L A T O Y A H O B B S. Um, I kind of I have a second page also that was as a result of my original page being hacked, and then I got the other. Oh, page they back. got you. Um, <laughs> they, yeah, they did. They got me. Oh um, man. So I, I yeah, I just was tired of waiting to get my page back, and I started the second page. But of course, after I started the second page, I was able to get the first page back. Um, but the second page is just Latoya M Hobbs. So if you ever see like dual post that's why um and you can go to my website latoyamhobbs.com nah, that's what's oh up. and um the video that you mentioned that my um again ariston just on top of it he produced the video that you you mentioned earlier you can find that on my youtube channel latoya m hobbs studio yes doing it all oh, yo get it done latoya hobbs thanks for coming on the show yo thank you for having me And that's it. Another episode of Studio Noise in the bag. Big shout out to Latoya Hobbs. Come on on the podcast. Just being amazing. <laughs> Just for no reason. Your boy Jay Barber. I'm going to be doing a little traveling for the next couple weeks. But I'll make sure I get back to you with some exciting news. <laughs> Big things coming for your boy. All my artists out there. I want you to write down your goals. One year. Five years. Ten years. Hang it up in your studio then do that shit <laughs> make some noise it's your boy jay barber i'll get back with you in a couple weeks peace thank you for listening to the studio noise podcast subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts 
please take a second to rate us and write a review to make sure everybody knows about the noise. Follow us on Instagram at Studio Noise Podcast.